This podcast is brought to you by Stella Artois. When you're planning to enjoy everything Houston has to offer, especially all the great restaurants in our city, start with Estella. Whether you're going to eat with friends or solo, start with Estella. Stella Artois. Enjoy responsibly. Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's bi-weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. This is the Tuesday show where we talk about some news in the world of Houston restaurants and a restaurant opening that you may want to check out. To do that, I am joined by my co-host this week. She's a former commercial real estate developer and a marketing expert. Monica Dano, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for doing this. Let's dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one to Temo chef Emmanuel Chavez is part of this year's food and wine best new chefs class. He is just one of 11 chefs nationally to be included and the first Houston chef to be recognized by food and wine as a best new chef since Justin Yu in 2014. Emmanuel is no stranger to the spotlight. He was a James Beard Award finalist for Best New Restaurant earlier this year. And of course, he won a Culture Map Tastemaker Award for Rising Star Chef of the Year, which may not be quite as important nationally as being a food and wine Best New Chef, (laughs) but is very important to me. Monica, I sell that to say to you, what are your thoughts on Totemo and kind of its place in our culinary landscape as a recipient of, of a lot of national attention? You know, first of all, I think obviously well-deserved to Emmanuel and his team. Um, when I first came across Emmanuel, was, he was doing the pop-ups with Josh DeLeon and Montrose over at the Black Lab. And I'll tell you, you know, from a real estate perspective, when obviously people are kind of rising up and um, being heard of, and I kind of go and scope out, hey, you looking for a brick and mortar? And we had several conversations early on. And you know, I think it's interesting where he ended up, which is actually pretty close to where I grew up, you know, in a strip center. If you've been there, it's no, no, no uh, secret. It's in the middle of a strip center. Yeah. And in a strip center next to the Carbach Brewery, essentially, like not a, state, not a prime yeah. restaurant destination by any stretch of the imagination. Right. Well, I will say next door to the center that housed my uh, beloved Tia Maria's, which is where I've been drinking margaritas for 30 years. well before I was of age so it's very important to the neighborhood um but you know when I heard he was going there obviously we were having some conversations hey come look at this property um you know I think every chef that has a great idea uh is under the impression that wherever they go the food's good enough people will come you know and I think to some degree that is true from a real estate perspective the conversations we had early on I was a little skeptical of of the location and I wanted him to do well. I wanted him to be in a, in a high profile area, consulted him on that and he ended up going there and, and look, he's made it work. And, you know, I think there's very few concepts, I believe that can do that and do it well for, for a long time. And clearly he's doing something right over there. Um, you know, I think watching him kind of on social media and his team, you know, he's a very serious operator I think Eric, you and I went to one of the first pop-ups he did together, not pop-up, sorry, um, the first opening when he opened on that Saturday and we went. And yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I we, thought it was a, in, we either went for a pop-up or a brunch service, I think. 
I think it was one of the first brunch services. There was line out the door, of course. And, you know, a, a few people and I witnessed it, myself included, kind of popped in to say hi. And he was all business, you know, it was kind of like that. Stay out of my way. I'm working, which I do respect from Emmanuel. He's very professional, um, you know, food aside, which is fantastic. Um, I think he's really brought a um, you know, professionalism to that kitchen. Um, seeing kind of the chefs that are coming out of there and, 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 you know, people that he hires that may not have a ton of experience and that he's kind of shaped and groomed into sous chefs and chef de cuisines. It's really cool to watch that kind of from an Instagram social media perspective. So, you know, when he gets accolades, um, I don't think anyone would say it's not deserved. Um, he's working hard from all angles. Yeah, no, I think, I, I think that's all well said. I think, I think it's a little bit like, street to kitchen on the east end where yep. you know if you build it you know sometimes with restaurants if you build it they will come doesn't happen but Absolutely. but every now and then when you're really talented and you work really hard and the food that you're making just captures people's attention in just the right way yeah they they will and and it helps that it's so small right it helps that it's a tasting menu so that you know it's it's an occasion kind of by definition so that you what, whatever you're doing that night, like you have to plan it out in advance. It, it's not, you know, you're not just going to walk in and be like, oh yeah, give me the, give me the seven course mize tasting menu. It requires some forethought. And and I think, you know, that's helped it, you know, being very intentional about kind of what they serve, I think has helped. I think, you know, serving just incredibly delicious food. I, I mean, I know I've said it before, but I don't know what Emmanuel and his team do to get so much corn flavor and aroma into every <laughs> tortilla, quesadilla, sopa, harache, you know, what are all these different, these different oh, yeah. dishes that they make, but it's really incredible. And so, you know, I've compared it to, um, it's kind of curb your enthusiasm for me in, in the sense that when you watch curb your enthusiasm, it makes Seinfeld seem a little bit worse because when you see Larry <laughs> David do his thing, you're like, oh, George is like the, George is like the sanded down network TV version of Larry David, right? And yeah, and Kirby right. Enthusiasm is the HBO version. Yeah, yeah. And and eating the Tatemo corn tortillas just makes, it's like, oh, I can't, I can't go back to like grocery store corn tortillas after this. Like it, it just like it, it just kind of ruins you for them. So, you know, I think, I think just based on food quality, I think it's been really successful. And, and I'm, I'm sort of impressed that like whatever, you know, research these national publications do it, like it leads them to, to Temo. Yeah. And, and, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but you know, in the, in the old days, say five or even 10 years ago, you know, they probably wouldn't have, you know, we'd be talking about Aaron Bluedorn as the food and wine best to chef. And, and I think Aaron would be a completely deserving recipient of this kind of recognition. And, and I'm, I'm rooting for him to be in next year's class along with, with Chef G at Street to Kitchen and a couple other people. But this is this like kind of democratization. And we see it in the James Beard Awards where we're we're looking at like a broader class of restaurants to be eligible for this kind of recognition. And so it leads them to a, a 13 or now, you know, I, I saw them post on Instagram that they added a couple more tables. So it's a 20 seat <laughs> tasty menu restaurant that's open three or four nights a week. Like it's, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, with James Beard recognizing him as well, obviously earlier this year, was that late last year? It yeah, was that was really, 
thought it was really interesting watching Emmanuel really, um, you know, again, the serious and professional professionalism with which he kind of states what he does. If you watch him closely, you know, he shares kind of team goals and what's their goals for the year. And he was talking, he's been talking about a James Beard, you know, award nomination for years and not in a cocky way, but in a, this is my goal. Um, and he got it, you know, and I think that, um, was really cool to see him kind of manifest that obviously food and wine, paying attention to James Beard, at least recognitions as well. But, um, you know, I think the other thing I'll say about Emmanuel is he's done a really good job in, um, you know, bringing in the, the Houston, you know, culinary community with lots of pop-ups early on, obviously right now is a kind of a busy time for them, but when they really first started getting started every other week or so, those Tuesday night pop-ups he was doing with the boss and brought Fernanda in several times, um, Thomas from um, belly of the beast. You know, I think that that really uh, genuinely comes through in his personality that he cares about his friends. He cares about people in the industry uh, I think Justin even did, Justin, you did a pop-up there, was at least involved in that. So I like seeing that kind of thing. I like seeing chefs embrace chefs and using their platform to collaborate. And that's something that I feel, you know, I don't know if food and wine gets wind of that or people like James Beer get wind of that. But, you know, that's something at least that, that I'm prideful in in our community. I think we do that, you know, we we do that pretty well. Well, yeah. I mean, he did that. He's done that at his restaurant. And of course, before that, when he was in the in the space in Montrose with Josh DeLeon of Underground, you know, they held all those night markets that were- Well, and we held one at the Stomping Grounds before we officially, you know, kind of opened. This was almost two years ago. Josh and Emmanuel came to me. And at the time, I kind of had heard of them. Uh, maybe it was even three years ago. Um, I think we may had Batcat was open and that was it. And, you know, we have this, you know, we had this, you know, 8,000 square foot green space. They came to us and we didn't really know what to expect. We had really not done a large event like that. And I'll tell you to this day, and that was probably three years ago in November, it is the biggest crowd we have ever had at the stopping grounds. There was 600 people, I want to estimate, over the two to three hours. We had the whole parking lot was full. The YMCA across the street was full. Uh, the Hare Krishna temple <laughs> across the street was full. It was very exciting. And I'll tell you, at, at the time as a developer, that made us very excited um, not only about Emmanuel, but about the potential of, you know, what could go on in that space. So um, that was really our first kind of work with him. And gosh, um, it was a hit. I mean, that that those events, I think most people were, were sad that when he did get his brick and mortar, that that meant that those were going to stop because those were really fun events. And obviously Josh has ended up over in Pudgy's Cookies and, and Emmanuel's over there. So um, really great to see those guys kind of follow their trajectory. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to move on to topic number two. Levi Good, the president of Good Company Restaurants and the son of legendary Houston restaurateur Jim Good, announced he's opening two new fine dining restaurants at the McKinley, a luxury high rise in Memorial City. They are Credence, a South Texas ranch inspired restaurant and sidebar, a sort of companion, smaller restaurant built around cocktails allocated champagne and classic Americans fare like steaks and oysters. Yum. Yeah. I, I think what's interesting, I, you know, good company is opening, you know, has opened a whole bunch of restaurants and in the past couple of years, you know, they brought kitchen and cantina to the Heights, their Tex-Mex concept. They did fish camp up in the woodlands last year. Uh, but what's interesting about Credence and sidebar is 
they are not part of good company restaurants. They are part of Levi Goods personal brand. And, and they're sort of disconnected. They're, they're, they're not, they are explicitly not good company restaurants. They will not serve cappuccino. They will not serve uh, the pecan pie. Like they're going to, it's, they're more upscale. Uh, and so Monica, I, I say that to say to you, you know, you're, you're the marketing person. Like, what do you, what do you think? Like, what do you think of Levi, like making this decision to sort of, when I, when I asked him about this, he said, this is my solo album, yeah, you know, and, cool. and yeah. you and I, you and I are Tom Petty fans. Right. So like, yeah, so, like I understand, that, yeah. <laughs> so like, I understand the difference between full moon fever, you know, with into the great or, or you know, with into the great wide open on it or whatever, uh, or sorry, into the great wide open is the, is the heartbreakers album. And yep. it was followed up by wildflowers, which is probably my favorite Tom Petty album. Cause it's so much more personal and intimate. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do you what do you make of this? I mean, it's it's kind of a in some ways it's kind of a strange decision to to leave the well not leave because he's still he's still president of good company restaurants, but to to separate himself from from the legacy of his father and be like, this is my thing. And in some ways it it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I like it. I like to see when um, you know, operators that are kind of part of this more conglomerate um kind of go off and do side things. I think it it when you get when you get to a point size-wise, right? And I'm sure there's tons of standards and we do we don't do that here. We don't do this here. This is the way we do things at good company obviously to um to continue the level of standard that they have. Um you've got to do that, right? And I think he probably, and I can't speak for him, obviously, but I think he probably was probably craving a little flexibility and creativity and being able to kind of call the shots and and kind of step outside of that corporate world of um, we've got processes and procedures that we do at the restaurant and that's what makes it successful. Um, but maybe he's a little curious on what would it be like if, right, I could do it my way, right? Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see these, you know, I think it's interesting. I wonder what his role kind of day to day will be like moving away from some of the newer concepts that I know he had a, a large hand in fish camp and the cantina, both, you know, in Memorial and in the Heights. So, you know, maybe it's just the natural progression for him, you know, as a restaurateur to kind of support the family business and then just kind of move on to these other concepts. But I mean, steak and, and oysters are, are two of my favorite things to eat. So definitely excited about the concepts. Well, yeah. And he he still is who he is, right? Like, I mean, the you know, there's going to be live fire involved, just like there's live fire at at every good company restaurant. And I am intrigued about they they floated a few dishes in the in the press release for Credence. Yeah. You know, dry aged duck for two, hearth roasted swordfish, Parisa, which is that uh, Medina County style steak tartare, mushroom and cornbed gnocchi, you know, showing a little more, like a, a slightly more diverse set of influences, right? So I, I think I think that's exciting to me. And I, and I do think like the one thing that sort of characterizes all of the good company restaurants is that whether they're full service, like kitchen and cantina and seafood and fish camp or counter service, like, you know, the taqueria and the barbecue place, like they're all pretty casual. Yeah. Family friendly, yeah. Um, family friendly, yeah. Relatively affordable, even even seafood. I mean, you won't spend like unless you like really get into the wine list or or have a few drinks. Like, I think you, you'd you'd be hard pressed to spend more than about fifty, sixty bucks a person at at seafood. And so, this is this is obviously going to be another level in terms of 
refinement and elegance and cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these are going to be good company restaurants you have to get, or Levi good restaurants that you have to get dressed up for. You know, I think I think that's interesting, and and I think this location in the high rise uh, is kind of interesting. Obviously, good company has had a ton of success. You know, in that kind of greater memorial area with seafood, barbecue, kitchen, yeah. cantina. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of their backyard. Yeah. So playing it safe with location, right? But um, no, I've been, even the changes, you know, that he's made with, you know, cantina just, and I know kind of some of the people that worked on the interior design and from what they've said, he's had a really heavy hand in those things. So I'm excited to see where it's going to go, you know, just seeing the things he's done the last couple of years, um, just kind of continuing that path, looking forward to that. Absolutely. All right. And then let's do topic number three. Seattle-based Chinese restaurant Dozone Dumpling House is opening its first in Houston area location on October 2nd in the former Ibiza space in Midtown. It is the first of at least three Dozones. One will open in Boulevard Place in January, and then a third will follow in Sugarland Town Square in the spring. Monica, I I know we have a lot of Chinese food and we have a lot of kind of dim sum style Chinese restaurants that do dumplings and soup dumplings and noodle dishes. But, you know, my my attitude, generally speaking, is uh, the more dumplings, the better. So, yeah, what do you you think about Dozo? You know, I'm excited, too, about dumplings. It's hard to not get excited about dumplings. Um, Obviously, a reputation precedes it. I didn't know much about Dozo until I heard about it. So read a little bit about that. But um, yeah, I think it's an interesting location, um, you know, with Ibiza not being there for years. Um, you know, this whole Midtown, uh, there's 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 obviously a large Asian community and Asian community, uh, culinary community in the Midtown area. So, um, you know, I think that's an interesting location. Obviously, no um, coincidence there that that's where they chose to go. Um, yeah, I'm excited. You and I had dumplings together recently at... Um, at um, Benny Chow's. And I think since then, I think a lot about dumplings and this came up and uh, yeah, excited to try it. Um, again, I think you posted this online and I think Tony Wynn was like the first comment and more dumplings, <laughs> you know, so it, it's, people are excited. I think the culinary community is excited to, to give it a try. Uh, I guess time will tell. Right. I mean, a, a good friend of mine spent a couple of years living in Seattle. Dozone was one of his favorite restaurants. Like he's, He's ecstatic. Nice. Uh, the, okay, the, this great. is coming here. And and is like, you know, tell me when the soft opening is. Tell me when we can go. I want to go. Uh, so, you know, that that serves it well. And then, you know, it's you know, of course, like I, I take this stuff with a grain of salt, right? Because if you're a if you're a Seattle food writer, of course you're gonna want to support the local and say that it's it's better than Din Tai Fung, which is kind of the legendary, yep. you know, dim sum restaurant that's all over the West Coast. Um, but they have two locations in Seattle. So that comparison is is inevitable. And, you know, whether or not it is or isn't better than Din Tai Fung is sort of irrelevant for Houston, right? Because, you know, Din Tai Fung isn't here yet. But but that it it earns that kind of praise in its hometown uh, certainly has my attention. And and that I think Midtown in some ways is, is already kind of well served uh, for this kind of traditional Chinese food, whether it's at spicy girl in mid Maine or, or want or a uh, taste of Mulan, which used to be called uh, one dim sum. Uh, so, you know, I think, I think we're going to have some a fun, you know, we're going to get to do some fun kind of comparisons about 
well, who does have the better? Yeah. Which 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 dumplings do we like better, right? Because you're going to be able to basically go to to Dozone and then uh, float down Bagby and hit Wanabow and and have a little soup dumpling crawl. And again, I'm I'm pro dump. This is a pro dumpling podcast, so the more dumplings, the better. Maybe we need a dumpling draft next. <laughs> <laughs> we can have enough categories. I'm sure we could. I'm I'm sure we could. I'm sure we could. That would that would be a uh, big points for diversity if we if we did either the the Chinese. The Chinese food draft, or or maybe even the a soup dumpling, uh, uh, a, you know, a Chinese style dumpling, a ravioli, an empanada, right? Like we could we could have a lot of fun with with filled meat uh, filled pockets. dishes, <laughs> right? Filled dishes from around the world would be a fun draft. All right, yeah, Monica, no, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm gonna say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. Monica, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Nono's Family Pizza Tavern. This is the new restaurant from Sarah and Martin Steyer, the owner of Nobis and the Toasted Coconut. It is located in the formal Revelry on Richmond space, which conveniently is right next to the Toasted Coconut. It serves kind of this Midwestern tavern-style pizza that that uh, you know Sarah grew up eating. She's from Chicago. Uh, Martin cooked in Chicago for a number of years before coming home to Houston uh, to open Nobi. So it's a style that they're both uh, very familiar with. And it's got kind of the, it's got all of the things that you want on a, on a pizzeria menu, right? It's got, it's got salads, it's got chicken wings, it's got mozzarella sticks. So it's, uh, it's pretty comprehensive. Uh, I want to talk about the food, but I want, I want to start with the, the look of the place because our, our friend Jim Braverman of Jim Design Group, who was, on this podcast pretty recently uh, worked with the stairs on the design and it is like the eighties retro pizzeria of our uh, gen X dreams. Yes. Yes. It was a, uh, it's uh the pizza hut. We all, uh, we all miss, right. It's uh, complete with shuffleboard with Parmesan cheese sprinkled across. Right. <laughs> um, it, it really is a beautiful space. And I think, you know, obviously you said Jen designed this and, and work with, with Sarah and Martin on this and, I just think they really nailed this kind of modern nostalgia. I think nostalgia could be done in a tacky way. And this was done beautifully with the Pizza Hut uh, light fixtures, uh, just the gold trim. You know, it was very, it felt very nostalgic when I stepped in there. And, you know, to, to, to test this family concept, we brought my seven-year-old along, uh, which, you know, he was uh, instantly drawn to the pinball machines as soon as we walked in the door, as were every other child that was in there. And, you know, when we walked in, it was, well, we talked about this, but we, we met at six and it was a Saturday thinking we'll get ahead of the crowd. Well, boy, were we wrong. <laughs> right. In any other restaurant in Montrose, six is early. Right. Like we would have been we, we would have been staring at ourselves in an empty dining room, <laughs> wondering where everybody was at the at the pizzeria with the arcade that pitches itself as a family friendly restaurant. Uh, they were on a half an hour wait. And and when we left at eight o'clock, not that they were not that they were empty by any stretch of the imagination. I think most of the tables were full, but they weren't yeah. on the same weight. You know, it, it had the 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 initial that initial crush had. Uh, abated just a little bit well and it was cool we got to kind of witness that 
change over in audience, right? We arrived 5.50, 6 o'clock, and I, I did a quick lap, and I think over 50% of the tables, kids were at the table. Um, and, and I kind of joked to you that this was like the hipster Montrose parent spot, right, where you grow up in Montrose and you stay and you have a couple kids, and man, this is it. We're still in Montrose, cool spot, good food, you know, a couple extra kids along. And, you know, even with, obviously, I dine with kids all the time because I have one. Um, even with that population, which sometimes can get out of hand if you're at a spot with, you know, a playground outside or sandbox. It, it, and you tell me, right? But it didn't feel overwhelmingly kids running around being disrespectful. I felt like they were sitting in booths with their families and everyone was kind of enjoying the the 90s uh, R&B um, playlist that I so enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, no, I would say, I would say in terms of like, Sometimes you go to to a more family friendly place and it does. It kind of feels like, you know, the kids are using the restaurant. The it's like a, a jungle gym or a, right. But the nice thing about the arcade, you know, and it and it's really it's it's two machines and like it's two like arcade machines and three pinball machines. It's not it's not huge, huge. But that holds the kids' attention and they stay kind of focused in there. And then you know, just between like the general hum of the restaurant and the soundtrack. Like it, it didn't, I just, I didn't feel like I heard kids shrieking or certainly I didn't see anybody like running or, or doing any of the, the kind of, you know, like the kid stuff, which is kind of healthy and normal, but also like incredibly annoying. If like me, you don't have kids and don't <laughs> want to dine around a bunch oh, of I kids. get it. It's annoying to uh, me and I have a kid. <laughs> so, so I think, I think they've, they've found that balance really well. And, you know, your son could kind of when we were waiting for a table, which would have been incredibly boring for him, he was playing pinball. And then when it was time to eat, he came and sat with us and he had a couple slices of pizza and a mozzarella stick. And then when he was bored or full or whatever, then he went back and played more pinball. I thought, I thought it had a really nice, you know, it, it worked really well for, for him and for us. And so I really enjoyed that. But I will say, of course, to my, my childless friends and listeners, right. The, the, the issue Right. If you if you want to see fewer kids, just go a little later. Right. Don't don't yeah, go, at, no. go at eight. And yeah, then like be, I said, we then, kind of got to witness that. Right. I mean, we saw over the two hours we were there, the adults see got date night come in, you know, yeah. the, the lights get a little lower. You start seeing wine on the table. Right. Um, that was really cool to see that shift. And even, you know, even you and I were talking about how you could see this could be a cool late night kind of date spot. I think, you know, the, not to harp on the interior, but I felt like they just did such a good job of nailing the experience, soundproofing the way that sound came through and the way that the playlist came through with the music and it never felt too loud or we couldn't hear each other. Um, you know, that, that's a big part of dining for me, uh, obviously probably, sometimes even before the food, right? Is this a good experience? I could sit and chat with someone and have a nice cocktail. Um, it just, it felt very intimate. And and even as a family restaurant that they say family is in the name, um, you know, I felt comfortable letting my kid, I mean, he was behind me, right? And I felt comfortable him kind of running over and it was a nice size where I didn't feel like I had to keep looking over my shoulder. Where was he? Felt very intimate. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you at a glance could see him very easily anywhere right? from like it's small enough yeah. Right, right yeah um all right let's talk about the food because you know they are doing this tavern style pizza there's there's some of it around town I, you know crust which is kind of concentrated in the suburbs has made a has made a go of it with with tavern style pizza but it's not it's not something we see a whole lot of 
but we started, you know, we started with the mozzarella sticks and we, you know, we asked your son on a, on a 10 point scale, what do you think <laughs> of the mozzarella sticks? And I think he said, he said, what, it was an eight or a nine. I think it, yeah. Eight, seven or eight. Yeah. yeah. He likes to I, food. <laughs> I, you know, I disagree. I disagree. I, I think there are 12 on a 10 scale. They, they are, they are thick. They were crispy. They Stretchy. were chewy. Yeah. Great cheese pull. Like for all, of our, yep. all of our influencer friends are going to be all about, all about the cheese pull uh, with these mozzarella sticks. And they come with this like really spicy marinara sauce that is probably not kid friendly, but they'll, they'll bring you a side of pizza sauce or a side of ranch. Yeah. I, I thought that too, for mozzarella stick, that, that uh, marinara, it was delicious. It was, it had a kick to it. You it know? had a and real zip to it. it. Yeah. And I, it was interesting. We had a great waiter and, and that, that server, she, um, she kind of noticed we thought it was spicy before we even said anything. And she said, you want some ranch or pizza sauce? And I said, that would be great. Right. Um, so yeah, we did get to experience that with a little less heat. Right. And then we did the chicken piccata and, and they've just rolled out their pastas. So we did the, the cacioy pepe, the spaghetti, which I thought every, everyone's always going to say, well, how does it compare to cultivare? And it's like, yeah, well, the, yeah. the cult of cultivare is kind of its own thing. Like it's, it's very, very peppery. Uh, this was a little more balanced between the pepper and the cheese, but the pasta was really nicely cooked. Mm-hmm. And and obviously that pepper flavor comes through. So I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I think that was my favorite thing we had. Um, you know, we kind of decided on that pasta. They had a couple handful of pastas. I think there was three and a, three pastas and then a, a pasta of the day. And um, yeah, the chicken piccata. Um, and maybe it was just because I was full by the time I got to it. I will say one of the things that we commented on that the food came out very fast, which was great, but it also came out very rapidly between courses. I think at one point within two minutes, we had every single dish we ordered on the table, which is a little challenging to take your time and kind of try everything when you don't want things to get, you know, cold, but they were very busy. And so I know that their kitchen was probably trying to pump stuff out and move people through the line. Yeah, I think of chicken piccata as being like a little more lemony. Yeah. You know, like a little yeah. brighter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and this reminded me more of like a kind of a a seared like chicken and onion dish. Like it it I mean, frankly, it reminded me of a dish my dad used to make, like on a like for dinner every now and then. And so yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like like in that sense, like I was kind of enjoying the the nostalgia of it. But you know, if if like the reference for chicken for piccata for me is like the one at Polly's which is a, a thin cutlet in that like bright lemon sauce. You know, this was bone in pieces seared really hard. Yeah. And it got, it got the skin really crispy, which I like. but I I'm not sure that I would call that chicken piccata. Like it just didn't, it didn't meet my expect. Like it just didn't, it was a tasty chicken dish, but, but I'm not sure I would call it chicken piccata. Yeah, no, a good point. I mean, I, I being Italian and growing up, going to my grandmother's on Sundays for lunch, um, that's definitely a dish we would have had there, right? Um, not super bright and punchy, like you said, but well-made. Chicken was juicy, crispy on the outside, tasted great. I just think um, my eyes were bigger than my stomach for sure on that dish. Well, yeah, and and we were ordering pretty heavy. I mean, you know, yeah. we 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 wanted to to try from the different parts of the menu. All right, so now I have to ask, what did you think of our our meathead uh, pizza with 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 all the meats on it? Uh, pizza was good. You know, the one thing that I mentioned to you that I would have liked is just a, a, a crispier crust. Um, you know, we were kind of picking up the bottom of the dough just to see if we could see some char and there wasn't much taste taste wise. Great. I just prefer that style pizza to be a little crispier. It's just a little more satisfying to crunch, but, um, you know, I think it was a good choice. I think initially we were going to get a different pizza and kind of switched at the last minute, but, um, 
yeah, I would have liked to see that cooked maybe a little bit longer. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. You know, we could, as we kind of, the the side of the pizza as it was sort of set out in front of us uh, that was closest to me had a little more char on the bottom. And then the the side closer to you had a little less char. And so I, I think my preference would have been that the whole pizza be kind of cooked to the level of doneness that, that my side was. Because I do think it's it's that, it's one of those styles that really benefits from, you know, a slightly darker crust, a little extra toast. But, you know, I like the sauce. I like the cheese. Yeah. I like the flavors of all the meats. I think it's just, it, it's just, uh, you know, like you said, super busy, obviously like cranking out the food uh, really fast and and maybe just, just a little, a little, a little bobble in terms of like the way they cook the pizza for us. Well, and look, they've been open, what, a month if, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, figuring that stuff out on a busy Saturday night. And by the way, it was pouring rain when we got there. It was still on a wait, which is cool to see. Um, my restaurants have been suffering a little bit in this heat. Yeah. So yeah, this is, this is the retort to every time, you know, we post about a pizzeria or something and people go, Oh, more pizza. We don't need more pizza. We have so much pizza. It's like, look, if it's good, I don't care how many we have. There's always room. And this, yeah. is, this is the proof. You know, the one thing that like we mentioned pulling up and there being a wait, uh, it was fairly evident to me before I even got there of people circling the parking lot. Parking is a little challenging on that site. If you've been, you know what I mean. You know, I think I think Martin even mentioned to you, should we get ballet, you know? And I think the answer was absolutely. <laughs> I must have yes. circled four or five times in the lot. And apparently there was a um, spot, there was a caddy corner, there's more parking. I just didn't see, you know, the sign for it. Obviously it was raining, didn't want to walk with a seven-year-old in the rain. But that aside, I mean, it didn't really stop people from coming in from what I could tell. Uh, next time I might just grab an Uber. Yeah, that that is the only thing is I, between the success of Toasted Coconut and no nos, that parking lot fills up really fast. And so, you know, I wound up street parking on on, you know, across Richmond. Uh, but but yes, it's it's not it's cramped. Uh, so if you're yeah. one of those people who, if you want to be able to see your car from the front door, like probably not going to happen. Probably not going <laughs> to happen. Like so, but by the standards of a Montrose restaurant, it's it's like a pretty decent amount of of self parking. But yeah, I, I think a valet, like even though I feel a little silly valeting for a place like toasted or, or no, no's that are very casual, not the kind of places with a reservation, not like walk in, hang out, whatever, but it would make things a little easier. Well, and I'll say too, I share a lot of food on Instagram and places I'm at, whether it's with you or anyone else. And so I probably have a, a good uh, viewership of, of people that like food, but I probably had 10 different DMS over that night. What is this place? What, you know, I probably have a lot of kids and parents that follow me, right. Or parents with kids. Um, so they were very interested, obviously, in the pinball machines and the pizza. Um, several people commented, I've been hearing about this place. My coworkers raving about this place. So words getting out, obviously. Um, I think they'll be doing just fine. I mean, they, this is their you know third or fourth concept um, in that little Montrose empire that they've built. And I, I think it'll do just fine. I'll definitely go back. Yeah, that, that is the standard. So you'll you'll go back. I'll go back. I will also go back. All right. Monica, I'd say that does it for the Restaurant of the Week. Thank you very much. Thanks, Eric. That does it for today's show. Thanks so much for listening. Join me Thursday when my guest will be Sarah Brooke from Dessert Gallery.